When I was a youth pastor on the Western Slope, um, one of our responsibilities at the end of every youth night was to lock up the building, which meant that inevitably we would be the last ones out every time we were there, um, which is not uncommon. And so, you know, there there was a whole procedure. You had to walk all the way around and make sure there wasn't anybody in the building before you locked the doors. And then you'd lock all of the doors and turn off all of the lights, and it took quite some time. And during this season, uh, we had one daughter, Julia. Julia was about 18 months, um, and she had this fascination with closing doors. And this church had big, heavy, solid core doors. And so while we were locking the outside doors, she would go behind us and close all of the inside doors. And on this particular night, she walked up to one of the doors and she closed it. But she didn't get her fingers out of the way fast enough. And it slammed her little middle finger in the door. Like, immediately knocked her fingernail off. And, like, blood was pouring down her arm. You know, and as parents, like, this is our first daughter. And, you know, your, your second and third kid, you let them eat candy off the ground. But, like, your first kid, like, you're, you're paranoid, you... You always wash the pacifier off. The third kid, you blow the pacifier off. The fourth kid, you just shove it in their mouth. But when, when, you're, when you're a first-time parent and you're young and you don't know what to do, like, we were freaking out. And we didn't know what to do. And we couldn't, and like, it was, it was bad. It was, it was ugly. And so we... Uh, wrapped it in a paper towel, and Melody grabbed her and put her in her lap, and we left the church. I don't even know if we actually made sure all of the rest of the doors were locked. And the lights were for sure still on. And we raced over to the hospital and got there, and they ended up putting five stitches in her little finger. Three of them were in her nail bed. Yeah. But to do that, they had to sedate her and they put her on Special K, which is the street name for a sedative that we only know this because the nurse told her told us that this is what this is called on the street. Special K. And and this this drug this is this is not the old people flake cereal. This drug is, uh, it's crazy because you inject it and like you can watch it take effect. Like one minute our daughter was sitting on Melody's lap, terrified, and the next minute no one was home. (laughs) Like the lights were on, but nobody was home. And so they, they took care of her finger and, and, and that, was, that was scary and that was hard, but that wasn't the hard part. The hard part 
happened over the next few weeks as we had to change the bandage on this finger. And here's the thing. Fingers are sensitive for a reason. Like, all of the things that you do with your fingers, if, you, if you've ever tried to do something when, when your fingers are numb, like you slept on your arm wrong and your fingers are numb, like, it's impossible. Like, you can't, you don't have the dexterity. You don't have the ability. God put nerves in our fingers for a reason. But here's the other thing. When you're 18 months old, you have no idea why your mom and dad are sitting on you and messing with this finger that hurts. You have no idea why. And it was like that was the hardest thing. As a, as a parent, as a dad, like trying to like scissor hold and hold her down and she's screaming bloody murder. Screaming, terrified, angry that you're hurting her. And she would say that, you're hurting me, you're hurting me. But the thing is, is that if we don't change the bandage, it's going to hurt a whole lot more. It's going to cause long-term damage. The crazy thing is now, like if you look at her finger, there's zero sign that this ever happened. I, I, only, remem- like, I only remember that it was her right hand because I remember which door it was. And it's crazy. When she was probably three years old, two years old, two and a half, we were living on the western slope still. We were still youth pastors. And she, we were playing in the front yard. And we lived on the corner lot of a relatively busy street. It's not Main Street busy, but cars would drive too fast down this road. And we were playing and Melody and I were talking in the grass, and Julia just starts running towards the road. And we, we call to her, Julia, stop. Stop. Julia, and she, the more we called her, this is indicative of her personality. <laughs> the more we called her, the faster she ran the other direction. And... I just immediately started sprinting and I scooped her up right as she stepped off the curb in front of a car. And I grabbed her and she screamed. She was mad that I was interrupting her good time. I was interrupting her playing in her yard and I ruined her day. I think, you know, I think we've all experienced things like that where, like, whether it's we've been in situations where we didn't really understand what was happening to us. We've been on the other side as parents and we've, we've had to either discipline our kids or we've had to uh, help them process things or we, we have had to make decisions that were really hard for them to understand. I think we've all been there. Whether, whether we've been on the receiving end of that or we've been the, uh, the, the parent on the other end of that. We, we, we have had to make choices or had choices made for us that we didn't understand. 
So we, we kicked off this series last week called Seeing the Invisible. And last week we talked about those times in your life when you feel abandoned, when you feel like God is not there, when it feels like no one is listening to your prayers. This week we're going to be talking about those seasons in life where, where things that are happening to us and we don't understand, we can't figure out what's happening. We can't figure out why this is happening, why these things are happening, what this means, what we do with this information, how we process it. We're going to look this morning at the book of Ephesians. Ephesians is um, an epistle written by the Apostle Paul. It's uh, one of his uh, longer epistles. Um, It includes a lot of exhortation, a lot of encouragement, a lot of words that are meant to lift the church up. Um, Paul seems, if you read through the letter, if you read it as a whole, it seems like he has this really positive relationship with the church in Ephesus. And, and it's one of the very few letters that Paul doesn't, like, he's not rebuking. There's not a huge rebuke, like book of 1 Corinthians, we're going to land there here in a minute. Um, but in the book of 1 Corinthians, like there's some very clear things that the church needs to change in their behavior if they're going to grow. But the book of Ephesians, Paul is writing to encourage the church. And so he starts in uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. He says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers, to do all of the things in the church, to to give, uh, to make sure that um, the city is reached for Jesus. He gave the apostles, the pastors, the... That's not what it says. Some of you are like, you're reading that wrong. It says to equip his people for works of service. So... You want to know what my job description is? My job is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. My job is to give you the resources, the skill, the courage, the bravery, the tools, the aspiration, the vision to reach Longmont for Jesus, to reach the world for Jesus. That, that's, that's what this, this role is all about. Now, the interesting thing is it says, so the, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers, their job is to equip the people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Who, who's building up the body of Christ? You, that, that's your job. My job is to help you do that. My job is to give you the resources to do that. And as the result of the, the body of Christ being built up, and we, we build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of God or, or the fullness of Christ. Like, I think sometimes the way we understand this is we cut this middle part out so, and we read it as, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors, and the teachers so that 
we all can reach so that the body uh, we may be built up and until we reach unity like we cut we cut the middle section out of this because it's because it's easy because it's easier if some if it's somebody else's responsibility it's easier if somebody else goes and does the work like we show up and we we're here we participate we uh we give we we work we we help but what responsibility do I have to share with the gospel? Paul is telling them, like, like it's it's specifically like, if you look around you and there's immaturity in the church, it's basically all of our fault. He goes on in verse fourteen. He says, "Then we will no longer be infants." I don't know. Have you? Have, how many of you have held an infant? If you haven't, you should because it's the best. Um, I, I I am considering one of my retirement goals being um, somebody who volunteers to hold babies in a hospital. Um, my mom says I shouldn't wait till I retire; that I should just do that one day a week. Um, I love holding babies, but one of the things about babies is that their heads are wobbly. I don't know if you've ever noticed this. Like you hold up a baby and their head just, and and they they have no they have no neck muscles. Glad I could help you visualize that. <laughs> and, and so when when I read this passage, that's what makes me think. It says we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching. You have to hold a baby's head. If you don't. You're going to hurt the baby. But Paul says, if we, if we all engage in the work, if we all engage in what's happening, if we all participate in the process, then we will no longer be infants. We will, no lo- we will build up those neck muscles so we can hold up our head on our own. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking, in the tr- uh, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mer- mature body of him who is the head. That is Christ. From him the whole body, joined together and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So, I think it's easy for us to, to, to see this as, see the work of ministry, to see the work of, uh, of participating and, and showing up and being a part and, and like, and actually sharing our faith as somebody else's responsibility. It's easy for us to do that. But, but what Paul is saying here is that, that as, as you're equipped, as you're given the resources, as you're given the knowledge and the ability and the, the empowerment, to go and do this, as you do that, as you engage in that process, then the, the, the body of Christ becomes mature. Then, then the, the, we will no longer be infants. It doesn't say that 
as your pastoral staff or your leadership do those th- uh, preach and teach and and lead uh, small groups as those things happen that that will become less uh, will become no longer infants it says as the body of Christ does their part so what what does this have to do with what's going on in your life we're going to get there 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians is, a, is a, another letter, and Paul writes to the church in Corinth because they are in a dysfunctional bunch. They, uh, they are engaging in things that would make you blush. They, they're getting drunk on communion wine. They're... Uh, Somebody in the church is living with and sleeping with his mother-in-law. That yeah, that's weird. You're right. You're you're not wrong. And so, Paul writes. And and this is this is one of Paul's more strong letters. Um, he says, "Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly." mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. Verse 3. He says, You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? So here's here's the problem. I think one of the challenges that we have today is that we have an extreme aversion to discomfort. The reality is, is that we don't like to be uncomfortable. We don't like like we don't like situations where things hurt. And so when we go through difficult seasons in our life, we oftentimes run from those seasons or we start blaming not nearly as funny if you can't hear it. Well, I appreciate your honesty. I think we need to move into a, a blame thing now. Uh, we're going to do some blame storming. I'd like to blame Eileen. You can't. I was actually going to blame you first and thought about that. So. You didn't say it out loud. Well, I heard what I thought and I blamed you first out loud. I think that I heard you are blamed. We, we can't compete. We start to see really difficult things happen in our lives. We start to see challenging things happen to us, happen around us, 
And it's super easy for us to point our finger at Eileen. But more likely, we blame ourselves or we blame God. We get angry at God. We, we point our finger at God and say, God, why are you letting this happen to me? Now, I want to be very clear. What I'm not talking about, what I'm not saying is that God inflicts pain on us so that we'll learn. But here's the thing. God uses the circumstances that we go through to teach us things. For us to grow and challenges us, to stretch us, to help us become more like him. But that doesn't ever happen if we run from discomfort. So what do we have to do? We have to learn to lean into discomfort. And so when we're going through difficult seasons, when we're going through challenging things, we have to learn to ask better questions. We have to learn to ask better questions. And the, uh, sometimes those questions are things like, God, what can I learn from this? Notice I didn't say, God, what are you trying to teach me through this? Because I think language matters. And if we're not careful, the things that we're, uh, we, we say like get embedded in our heart. What can I learn through this season? How can I grow through this season? How can I grow through this, this experience that I'm going through? I think one of the things that we neglect, we neglect this, this thing that at the very least, the difficult seasons in our life are teaching us to depend on God more, to lean in and depend on God because he has the strength. He has the power. He has the comfort. What does that have to do with the first part of the message? Here's the reality. God has accomplished. God wants to use the circumstance, the things that have happened to you, the things that you've been through, the trauma that you've experienced. He wants to use those things to help other people. You, you went through difficult things, yes. You grew from it. You changed. God changed you through those, those experiences. Guess what? Right now, someone is going through something very similar. And you have the words to comfort them, to challenge them, to help them to know that God isn't with them. Right now, you can be the voice of the Holy Spirit in someone's life. And as you do that, as you speak into the life of someone else, as you be the body of Christ, something amazing happens. We grow. We all grow. But that doesn't ever happen if we are going to go through seasons and we're going to go through difficult seasons and instead of thinking about what God is trying to say uh, to us in those seasons. I instead, we blame God, we get angry at God, 
we won't ever be able to share that gift if we, if, if we allow those seasons to harden our heart. Now, here's the thing. This is, this, is, this is the good news. The good news is that God's not done. The good news is that this thing that you're going through right now isn't the end of the story. It isn't the, the final message. I, I love this verse. This is one of my favorite, uh, favorite things that Paul I don't know what's happening. Paul, at the beginning of his epistle to the, uh, the church at Philippi, says, In all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of, uh, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He who began a good work in you is faithful. This season that you're going through, I know it's hard. This, this dark cloud that you're walking through, I know it's challenging. But God's not done. And if you let him, he can use this experience that you're going through, this thing that has happened to you or is happening to you, to build up the body of Christ so that we all can be more mature, so that we all can be challenged, so that we all can grow, so we, cannot, so we can no longer be infants tossed around by the waves. The question is, Will you let him? Will you let him? Will you take comfort in knowing that God's not done with you? Maybe in this dark season, that's actually scary. If, if, this is, if, if God is working through this, this right now and God's not done with me yet, I don't want to know what the next season's like. He who began a good work in you is faithful. I, I keep quoting the, the King James Version. It's faithful to complete it. God's not done. So my challenge to you this morning, my challenge to you this morning is that if you're here and you're going through a difficult season, if you're going through something challenging. Let's ask better questions. Let's ask better questions. God, how can I see your heart in this season? How can I hear your heart for me and for the world around me in this season? How can I grow through this season? How can I offer the things that I have experienced to the body of Christ in this season. 